This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. This episode is brought to you by the folks at Audible, who are helping resurface one of the ballrooms here at the Palace. Audible has thousands and thousands and thousands of audiobook titles. You can download one of them for free right now if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash thememorypalace. So go do that. And uh, here's episode 30. Enjoy. Let me introduce you to Ethan Weinberg and to Dr. Clifford Wyman and Royal Sancerre and Rodney Wyman and C. Sterling Wyman. But first, let me introduce you to Stanley Clifford Wyman, seven years old, working the front desk of the Dunwoody Motel in Yonkers in the middle of the night on August 27, 1960, right before the two gunmen walked in. He had been working the motel's graveyard shift for a year, which was longer than he had spent at nearly any other job he'd ever had. He liked it. He liked the hours. He liked the quiet. It gave him time to think and to remember the people he had known in his life and the people he had been. Stanley Clifford Wyman was born Stephen Jacob Weinberg in Brooklyn in 1890. His parents encouraged their boy to dream big, but they couldn't afford to send him off to the schools he'd have to attend if he wanted to achieve his particular dream, one of overseas adventure and white-tie luxury as a diplomat. So after high school, Stephen Weinberg got himself a job, assisting a portrait photographer in Lower Manhattan with an upper-crust clientele. The men who would come to the studio to sit weren't Rockefellers or Astors. They weren't the men atop the pyramids of capital and government and public works. They were the men who held the pyramids up. And as Stephen smoothed an unruly epaulette on a dress uniform, applied some powder to rein in an obstinate glare, he would listen. Listen to these attaches, vice chairs, assistants to this, special deputies for that. And through their blustering and name dropping, Stephen not only got a window into a world of power he'd never known, he got a schematic of the world as it really worked. And he studied its titles and trappings and mastered its body language and bon mots. And then he put his education to good use. Stephen Jacob Weinberg's 20th birthday party was attended by more than 75 of the highest, falutinous New Yorkers. They arrived in top hats and tails, in pearls and peacock feathers. They snacked on hors d'oeuvres while listening to speeches by fellow luminaries, including one justice of the New York State Supreme Court, who toasted bon voyage to the event's honoree. S. Clifford Weinberg, the United States' newly appointed Council General to Algeria. It was a night to remember, a night he liked to remember, 50 years later, at half past two in the morning, at the front desk of a mid-priced motel just off Route 9. And no one would have been the wiser to his elaborate charade back in 1910, except that a week later, the Supreme Court Justice, who like all the guests had been taken by Stephen's sham invitation and rented tux, the Justice had been so taken with the faux Consul General's graceful manner and boyish charm that he invited him down to the courthouse for lunch. However, he also coincidentally invited Stephen's boss to take a photograph to commemorate the visit. Though the incident landed him in a psychiatric hospital for six months, it taught him two things. One, that if you look the part and talk the part and look people in the eye and tell them you are someone you are not, they will believe you. And two, doing that is incredibly fun. And so in 1960, telling the nightly take in the cash box at the Dunwoody Motel, he could do an accounting of how he spent his 70 years. Of the day he told the head shrinkers at the sanatorium that he was done with imposture for good 
and they recommended him for parole. Of the two and a half years he'd spent in prison upstate for skipping out on his parole, and of all the nights during those two and a half years, when you think about that one night on his 20th birthday, and the banquet and the toasts, and about how every night should be like that. Stanley Clifford Wyman was the name he chose for his workaday life, the one he'd answer to while he plotted out his grander impersonations. It was the name he used in the phone book, the one reporters would ask for when they'd call him up for comment after one of his many elaborate schemes was exposed. And he would be happy to talk to them. He'd be happy to tell them about the day he declared himself the Council General from Romania, how he hired a boat, came up alongside the flagship of the United States Naval Fleet, and asked permission to come aboard, and how he spent the day touring the ship alongside an admiral who was so pleased with the foreign dignitary's visit, he honored him with a 21-gun salute. He'd be happy to tell them about the time that he'd read in the paper that the Princess of Afghanistan was in town, and how he showed up at her door and declared himself a State Department official, and then took her down to Washington and introduced her to President Harding. In 1926, a New York funeral home became the center of the world for a week as it prepared for the funeral of Rudolph Valentino, the world's biggest movie star. And Stanley Wyman was at the center of all of it, posing as Valentino's head PR man. He ran the funeral. And at the same time, he convinced the silent film star Pola Negri to hire him as her personal physician. Even when the papers noticed that the PR guy was the same guy as the personal physician, and both of them were the same guy from Brooklyn who kept scamming everybody, Pola Negri came to his defense. She said she'd never gotten better medical care. He was happy to talk to reporters about how he pulled scam after scam, year after year. Sure, he wound up in jail a lot for it, but he'd get out eventually. What was six months here, year and a half there? He told the papers he was an American boy, imbued with a go-get-him spirit. One man's life is boring, he said. I have lived many lives. I'm never bored. And the people who read about those lives loved it. They loved how this average guy from Brooklyn kept going out and getting him. They loved Stanley Clifford Wyman, serial pretender, at least until he was caught for teaching other people how to pretend they were crazy to avoid serving in World War II. They were less psyched about that. And when they read about him next, a decade later, on trial for taking a loan on a house that didn't exist, that seemed beneath him. He couldn't even convince the judge he was crazy. Other men were starting their retirements, and he was starting another jail term. That was 1955, five years before that night in August at the Dunwoody Motel, where he'd gone to work to find peace and quiet and time to think about the days behind him. And thinking back, the best nights may not have been the ones that landed him in the papers. Because there were ones like that perfect summer night when he made up yet another name and arranged a full police escort and picked up a friend from the train station. And they drove the length of the city in a borrowed Mercedes convertible without needing to stop for a single traffic light. And there was the night after that day he met a pretty young woman while walking through Prospect Park and dazzled her with his naval uniform and tales of overseas adventure. That night he turned to her and admitted that none of what he had been telling her was true, that he was just a kid from Brooklyn with no job and no money, who'd never been anywhere. Or the night a few weeks later when they were married. Or all the nights during the next 45 years when he and his wife would get dressed up, pretend to be people they were not, 
and eat and dance at the best joints in the city. Those are the nights that tied the whole story together. This whole crazy plot of all these characters he'd been making up for the last 50 years and all the adventures he'd had while pretending to be people who had adventures. Yes, one man's life is boring. He had lived many lives. He was never bored. He could tell himself that at the front desk of the Dunwoody Motel, when two burglars came in through the front door with guns drawn, and yelled at this 70-year-old man to hand over the cash box, and assumed that a 70-year-old man is just going to hand over the cash box, because that's what any 70-year-old man would do. Stanley Clifford Wyman died on August 27, 1960, when he threw the cash box down at his feet and leapt over the counter and ran straight at two men with guns who shot him and killed him as they turned tail and ran away. Which is exactly what any of the men he had ever been would have done in his shoes. That is The Memory Palace, episode 30, brought to you by the folks at Audible. To download your free audiobook and start your free trial, go to audiblepodcast.com slash thememorypalace. Thanks for listening.